Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Thursday is Thanksgiving Day in this nation, and I suspect in your house. But today is Thanksgiving Day at Weiser Lake Chapel. With the Thanksgiving feast tonight, followed by a time of actually giving thanks. So it seemed appropriate that we should come to God's word this morning and see what it says about Thanksgiving, not about the American holiday, but about the act of giving thanks, the attitude of giving thanks. And so where would we find that in the Bible? Well, one place is very obvious. There is one psalm whose title is actually a psalm for giving thanks. That's Psalm 100. Our text for this morning, you may know it by heart, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. When you're studying the Bible, when I'm studying the Bible, uh, it helps a lot if we can understand the structure of the text. And if we read things long enough and they keep going over them and, and thinking about what we're reading, we often can figure it out. Kind of there's a little outline or some breakdown. So let me tell you what I think is the breakdown here. Verses 1 and 2 is kind of a call to come and give thanks. And then verse 3 tells us reasons for giving thanks. But then when we get to verse 4, it does the same thing again. Verse 4 is a call to come and give thanks. And then verse 5, again, a second verse, it gives us reasons for giving thanks. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take those first two things the two calls to give thanks, and put those together and talk about them. That'll be our first point. And then we'll take the two things to talk about the reasons for giving thanks and talk about those. That'll be our second point. First point is this. Give thanks to our Lord with joy. Give thanks to the Lord with joy. You know, sometimes our giving thanks to the Lord is rather like the obligatory Thank you notes that our mother perhaps taught us to write as children. A thank you note must be a certain form. It must be uh, prompt. It must be always handwritten. It must have proper language. You can't say things like way out or cool grandma or something like that. It's got to be proper. But according to this psalm for giving thanks, God seeks all kinds of thanksgiving. Look at some of the phrases that are used here. Worship the Lord. Come before him, enter his gates with thanksgiving, give thanks to him, praise his name. Let's look carefully at some of the specifics of these calls to worship in verse 1 and 2, and again in verse 4. First, I want you to notice what uh, God sees as the proper setting for giving thanks. Verse 1, the command is given to the whole earth. Apparently, people, wherever they might be, are to joyfully give thanks to God. But then we get to verse 4, the thanksgiving is clearly localized in the temple in Jerusalem. His gates, his courts, that would indicate very specific places to the Jewish readers. So is there a building where we're to give thanks? 
or are we just to be thankful everywhere? Well, actually, those two things come together in Christ. There is now no holy geographical place anymore, not even this 100-year-old chapel building. There's nothing, we have nothing that's akin to the temple in Jerusalem. There's only the heavenly temple where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Then again, on earth, God dwells in a living temple of his people, and those people gather together. And God promises to be in the midst of them where they gather, whether it's in this building or out in the woods somewhere. But it's also true that wherever we might be as individuals, the Lord is there. And so for us, as well as for ancient Israel, there are both times for gathering to worship corporately as we do in this building. And there's a whole life of giving thanks to be expressed wherever we might be, whatever we might be doing. We are to give thanks to the Lord with joy. So then what exactly does that worship, that thanksgiving entail? When we look at verse 2, we find different translations here. Some of you will look in your Bible and it will say, worship the Lord with the gladness. In other Bibles it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Now we tend to make quite a distinction between worship and our service. Some people are always calling us to pray, to do worship kind of things. Other people want us to get busy and go do something, serve. Well, in the original Hebrew word being translated here, those two things cannot be divided. Both those concepts, worship and work, thanksgiving and service, are included in its meaning. Derek Kidner notes that this fact is confirmed really in our experience. Think about it. Where there is praise and prayer without any work, that grows really stale. But then again, where there is work without any worship, it grows very sterile, does it not? And so God calls us to worship and serve. Indeed, in Romans 12, God calls us to an act of worship and service which is far more comprehensive than singing any songs or saying any prayers. There we read, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what God considers to be serving the Lord with gladness. One more thing we need to see in God's call to give thanks, and that is the demeanor of our thanksgiving. In the psalm right before this, Psalm 99, it's on the same page in my Bible, all the emphasis is on God's holiness, his absolute separateness from his creation, his absolute purity from all sin. He is holy, holy, holy. Now, when we grasp something of God's holiness, it evokes a certain demeanor. It leaves us standing awestruck, silent, humble, reverent. But in this psalm, God commands quite a different demeanor. Shouts of joy, 
gladness, joyful songs, thanksgiving and praise. That sounds more like a charismatic praise gathering to me than it does any reformed worship that I've seen. You see, this predisposition that we have to limit worship to a certain style of music, that is music that is quiet and classical and serious and reverent, that's just not biblical. There's nothing wrong with loving that kind of music. I love that kind of music. What is wrong is the assumption that only that kind of music is a vehicle for thanksgiving and for praising the Lord. No, here God calls us to give thanks with joyful abandon wherever we are, whatever the calendar says, whatever time it might be, in every changing circumstance of life, and with every kind of human expression we can muster. Give thanks to the Lord our God. Joyfully give thanks. That's the first point. But this psalm doesn't just stop there with the call to give thanks. It also reminds us what we're to be thankful for, which brings us to our second point. Give thanks for the Lord our God is good. Give thanks for the Lord our God is good. You know, every Thanksgiving I listen to the voices of the world around me, and I am frankly astonished. I'm astonished how many people celebrate Thanksgiving without ever one word of mention of actually giving thanks. For many, Thanksgiving is simply about feasting and football. In fact, I often wonder about myself and my Christian friends. Is giving thanks really the centerpiece of this holiday for us? But I'm equally astonished when I hear of people being thankful or grateful with no mention whatever of whom they're thanking. As I listen for the object of gratitude, I often conclude that in our day, in our culture, gratitude has no object. Gratitude is simply a matter of feeling good about myself and my situation and being happy that I feel good about my situation without even a hint that someone beside myself might have caused my good fortune. But this psalm of giving thanks makes clear that the Lord is the proper object. Our gratitude belongs to the Lord, our God. Now, as we noted earlier, there are these two parts of the psalm, the calls to worship and the reasons for thanksgiving. We're talking about the reasons for thanksgiving now, which we find in verse 3 and also in verse 5. And there are actually two reasons given, two, two parts of this second point. First, give thanks for the Lord is God. Give thanks for the Lord is God. <laughs> we live in a secular culture, but we have somewhat of a Christian memory And so we tend to divide people into people who believe in God and people who don't believe in God. But if you do believe in God, it's often assumed that you believe in someone that's a lot like the God of the Bible, because after all, that's the only God we know, right? Back in David's day, in David's life, that was not the way it was. Back then, many, there were thought to be many gods. For example, we know the names 
of over 150 Canaanite gods. The pantheon of the Hittite gods historically contained a little over 50 gods, but the Hittites adopted so many gods from so many other places that their pantheon got the reputation of being the thousand Hittite gods, even though they weren't all Hittite gods. And in Egyptian gods, we know the names of over 1,500 Egyptian gods. Those gods, all those hundreds of gods, were thought to control the life of the territory that they ruled. So if you wanted to prosper and you lived in that territory, you'd better give allegiance to the local deity. And even today, in most of the world, there are many gods. Muslims believe in one god. The Sikhs believe in another god. Mormons have their god. The Christian science adherents believe in their god. Indeed, Hindus alone believe in many gods. But since there are diverse traditions of Hinduism, some have few gods, some have Hundreds of gods. Some Hindus have thousands of gods. Some Hindus have millions of gods. One can only imagine the confusion. What god is to be worshipped for what? But the truth is, these gods don't exist. They don't exist. According to verse 3 of our text, we could be thankful for we know that Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, the great I Am, is the one true God. He is the creator of heaven and earth and of everything that is. And that's a very personal truth, folks. That means he's the one that made me. Indeed, Genesis says we were made in his image. We were made for his glory. Think about it. Though there are about 7 billion people in the world This God has made himself known to us. And because he is our creator, we belong to him. We are his flock under his care. Folks, that means our existence has some significance. We didn't just appear out of our primordial slime as some mutation of some previous lower life form. Nor are we the unintended offspring of the philandering mythical deities. No, we are created by the one true eternal God, created to know him and to share in his rule over his creation. All that is reason to rejoice. So give thanks. For Yahweh, the Lord, is God. The only God. The true God. Oh, but there's even more good news. The second part of this point. Give thanks for God. It's good. He's good. Not all gods are good, you know. And it's no great joy to belong to someone, especially someone with supernatural power, if he's a tyrant. If you had an abusive father, you know this only too well. But many of the world's so-called gods are indeed tyrants. Some of these gods are thought to make terrible demands on their, uh, on their uh, uh, adherents. 
People live in fear of what angry gods might do to them if they do not, do not comply with outrageous expectations. So, for example, the Ammonite god Molech. Israel got caught up in worshiping Molech, if you can believe it. Molech was thought to demand the sacrifice, the burning. They call it passing through the fire. The burning of your infant child. What kind of God is that? What kind of tyrant? So in the name of appeasing these tyrannical gods, people have done terrible things. They humiliate and enslave and even kill others, even those they love. Because some religious book or leader teaches that their God loves and rewards such heinous things. Of course, it's outrageous and irrational. But people who do not know the true God live in fear, captive to the evil speculation of what the angry God might do to us. But Yahweh, the Lord, is not a tyrant. He is good. He is good. Have you looked out your window lately? He made all that. He's good. Sometimes we in Reformed circles emphasize God's sovereignty and God's holiness so much that we forget to mention he's good. That's not some liberal idea. God is good. Indeed, he is good even when we are not good. He is good forever from one generation to the next to the next. And more than just being good, He loves us. He loves us. What other God ever claimed to love his subjects? But verse 5 says, The Lord's steadfast love endures forever. He does not love like the world loves. The world says, If you're lovely, I'll love you. There's something in it for me. On the contrary, God loves those who are ugly and repulsive and broken and washed up And seemingly worthless. He loves us not for what we are. But for what he can do with us. Jesus said if you evil people know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does God who is good. Know how to give good gifts to you his children. And all this is not just a fluke. It's not just a passing fancy. A phase that God is going through. Oh no. This psalm ends by saying he is Faithful to all generations. He's not just faithful to us for a few years. He was faithful to our great-great-grandparents. And he will be faithful to our great-great-grandchildren. That's what Moses wrote in Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Isn't that a joy? Isn't that a reason to be thankful In a world where everything becomes obsolete overnight, God doesn't become obsolete. He doesn't change with the fashions and the fads. He doesn't tire of us and go find someone else to love. He is forever faithful. And when I fear for my grandchildren and the world they might live in, I need not fear, for God will be faithful to them too. Thank God we can rest secure in his love and his faithfulness and his goodness.
in this Thanksgiving season, I call you to rejoice in the Lord. Do not be so inhibited with your praise. He is worthy of your most exuberant moments and your most solemn, uh, reflective moments. Give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord our God is good. But before we finish, I must ask, how can this be? How can we ever get past God's holiness, which leaves us prostrate in the dust? Though we know God is good, how could we ever enjoy that when we have defiled his holiness? It would be nice to rejoice, but should we not be forever cast down? Should we not be trembling in fear before his judgment and wrath to come? Yes, it's all true. That's all true. Except for one amazing reality. The gospel. You see, that's what Jesus was doing, dying on the cross. He was satisfying God's holy wrath against us sinners. Taking it upon himself in order that he might extend love and grace to us without compromising his justice. But because of that reality, we who belong to Jesus no longer will stand before the bar of his justice, fearing a a holy, angry judge. Instead, that judge brings us into his home, calls us his precious children, invites us to climb up on his lap and call him daddy. He delights to hear us laugh and sing. It's Evidence that we know and trust and really believe what Jesus has done and rest our souls in the Savior. Finally, let me close with a little poem by Joseph Bailey, which I think describes the freedom and joy of resting and rejoicing in the grace of Jesus that has made us God's children. This poem is called praise a psalm on being it goes like this the little child says here i am daddy as he burst on his father's sight from behind the chair where he was hiding he does not say what can i do for you how can i help you i want to serve you seeking somehow to work and gain the father's favor and delight He knows those are his. Without exhausting efforts to achieve, they're his always. So here I am, Daddy. Abba, Father. Not working, just being your eternal son. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you've made yourself known to us, the God who created us, who owns us, who calls us your own. We thank you for the great salvation that you've worked on our behalf, that we might be your children. And then we thank you, Lord, for teaching us and giving us the capacity to give thanks, to praise you, to sing of you, to testify of you to tell of your greatness. Oh, may we never shut up.
May we never cease, Lord, being thankful, not seeking to earn your favor. Thankful that you've shown favor on us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.